0: Welcome to the Anchored in Truth podcast. Anchored in Truth is an online ministry of Safe Harbor Baptist in Georgetown, Kentucky. Visit us online at safeharborbaptist.org. Hear the word of the Lord. Blow the horn in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and total darkness. Like the dawn spreading over the mountains, a great and strong people appears, such as never existed in ages past and never will again in all the ages to come. A a fire devours in front of them, and behind them a flame blazes. The land in front of them is like the Garden of Eden, But behind them is like a desert wasteland. There is no escape from them. Their appearance is like that of horses, and they gallop like war horses. They bound on the tops of the mountains. Their sound is like the sound of chariots, like the sound of fiery flames consuming stubble, like a mighty army deployed for war. Nations writhe in horror before them. All faces turn pale. They attack as warriors attack. They scale walls as men of war do. Each goes on his path, and they do not change their course. They do not push each other. Each proceeds on his own path. They dodge the arrows, never stopping. They storm the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like thieves. The earth quakes before them. The sky shakes. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars cease their shining. The Lord makes His voice heard in the presence of His army. His camp is very large, and those who carry out His command are powerful. Indeed, the day of the Lord is terrible and dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and mourning tear your hearts not just your clothes and return to the lord your god for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger abounding in faithful love and he relents from sending disaster who knows he may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him so you can offer grain and wine to the lord your god blow the horn in zion announce a sacred fast Proclaim an assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the infants, even babies, nursing at the breast. Let the groom leave his bedroom and the bride her honeymoon chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, have pity on your people, Lord, and do not make your inheritance a disgrace, an object of scorn among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples? Where is their God? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we come before you and we hear this passage and are reminded of your power and might over all things. Lord, that you are a holy God, a God who has a zeal for holiness among your people a God who desires for those who claim the name of Jesus to be made pure and righteous in your sight because you are holy. Lord, we're reminded of the effects of sin in this world and the, the judgment that it invites, and the judgment that is coming. And Lord, I pray that even today, as we consider your word, that we might search our own hearts To see where we stand before you. To see what is keeping us from you. To see what sin is in our life that we've been holding on to. To to weigh the seriousness of that God in your sight. But to also know the hope of Jesus for it. So Lord, search our hearts today. And see if there is any wicked way in us. And change us. Lord, we pray for the churches of Scott County this morning. Lord, that the church, your church, gathered in local congregations, various denominations, might be a people set apart for you. That we might be a city on a hill in this city. Lord, we pray for Harmony Christian Church uh, this morning. for Pastor Kent, for that congregation that they might be a people set apart for you, and that their lives might reflect that. When We pray for our partners in New York. We pray for Staten Island Arabic Bible Church this morning as they gather uh, in, in Staten Island, an Arabic people who are no doubt affected by the events of the Middle East, but also a people who love Jesus and who you have called by your name. We pray that they would be a light in that city among many peoples of Arabic descent who don't know you, and that they might do your good work for the sake and the glory of Jesus. We do continue to pray for the the countries of the Middle East and the tensions that are happening there in the nation of Israel and the ways it's affecting all the nations around them. Lord, we pray that you would protect your people, that many more people might seek refuge in Jesus alone through this conflict, that your peace and your justice would reign, and that your will would be done. Lord, we pray that you would protect innocent civilians, that your justice would fall on those who are causing terror, taking the lives. Lord, we pray for your intervention. We pray for your wisdom for the world leaders who are navigating this time. Where we pray now that you would speak through your word to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You all may be seated, and kids may make your way to your classes if you would like. Downstairs, if you want to follow your teachers, you're welcome to stay in here with us as well. And if you have your Bibles, uh, leave them open to Joel chapter 2. You know, one of the uh, phrases that we hear in our culture often, and one of the things that we are often tempted to believe, is that we should live to make the most of each day. You know, we we hear that um, often around us, don't we? And I think we buy that with our lives. Now, you know, the Bible tells us, in one sense, that is absolutely true. We should make the most of every day. Um, The Bible tells us that we should make the most of our days because the days are evil. And so, in that sense, we should value every moment we have in this life. We should see the importance of each moment in the plan of God, in the purposes of God in our life. And yet, we also know that the Bible says we shouldn't just live for the moment. There's something greater than now, there is something bigger that is to come. And we don't often think about those things that are coming, right? We often let the moment just kind of take us and consume us. And so there is a very real danger that if we just live for now, for the pleasures of today, for the things that we want to enjoy right now, that we might miss something bigger that God wants us to think about and to allow to shape our lives. And that's really what we see in Joel 2 this morning. We see this idea that we should make every effort to be ready for what is coming. And what is coming is the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Now, last week in Joel chapter 1, we saw uh, this book, this prophet introduced to us a call to listen, to listen to what God might be saying to us through His Word, through the circumstances that are going on in our life, through the things that He wants us to know about life. And he we we saw that come in the form of a, a locust plague that was descending on the land. He was trying to wake up the nation of Israel and get them to pay attention to what he wanted them to know and to hear and to believe and to see. Well, we see that um, in Joel chapter two, he continues. But he wants to remind Israel, he wants to remind us that he he wants us to listen, not just so that we would know what God wants us to do now, but he wants us to listen so that we might be prepared for what he is going to do in the future. Our life is more than just the moment we live in now. And what we do now has eternal, lasting, lasting, consequences. And what we think about determines what we do. And so, what we're going to see in Joel chapter 2 is really two main ideas about how God wants us to make every effort to be ready for the coming day of the Lord. First, He wants us to think about the day that is coming, to understand what it is that is coming in the future. And secondly, He wants us to be prepared for that day, for the day that is coming, so we see right away in verse one of Joel chapter two. Let me read that for us. God's word says that we he, he, Joel says, "Blow the horn in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents of the Lord of, of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near." So right away we see this. This announcements right, blow the horn in Zion, sound the alarm. Now, in that day, if you all have seen the movie The Lord of the Rings, uh, love that that movie, that series. What you, if you, you may remember when there's an invading army, they uh, what do they do? They have this horn that they blow on top of the mountains to warn because there's an invading army coming uh, to take over the land, uh, and so. Uh, That's exactly what we see they did in the Old Testament, right? To warn of an enemy that's coming, an enemy force that's coming against them, they would have a horn, and uh, that would announce the the coming army. So they would be warned ahead of time. And that's essentially what Joel is telling the nation of Israel. Hey, there's a horn blowing because there's an enemy coming. There's an invasion coming. And what is it that he's trying to warn them about? He, he says, let the residents tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord. Now, in the, throughout the prophets, we see this phrase, the day of the Lord. And we heard it mentioned briefly last week in Joel chapter 1. Uh, but the day of the Lord was is mentioned in almost every prophet. Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Joel and Amos, Malachi, I mean, A lot of the prophets mention this day, and it is referring to the day when God will come and finally complete His plan, and He will come in judgment for some and in deliverance for others, right? And so it's like this invading army that's coming to them. God is bringing this day, and nothing can stop it, and it is coming, and Joel is trying to tell them, be ready, be prepared for this day and then we see what this day is going to be like in verse 2 a day of darkness and gloom a day of clouds and total darkness like the dawn spreading over the mountains a great and strong people appear such as never existed in ages past and never will again in all the ages to come a fire devours in front of them and behind them a flame and then it gives us picture of, before the army gets there, the land is flourishing. It's like the Garden of Eden. and you, We all have images of what comes to our mind when we think about the Garden of Eden, don't we? I mean, just a fruitful land, green, sunshine, everything's in bloom, beautiful. And that's before the army, the day of the Lord comes. Behind it, a barren wasteland. It's gone. Just dirt. Brown. This is a picture of what God's judgment, this invading army, this day of the Lord, is going to bring, and nothing can stop it. And again, this is coming on a people, the nation of Israel, who had walked away from God. They had invited this day of judgment by their own sin, by their own rebellion against God, their unwillingness to follow Him. And instead, their their desire to do life their way, apart from Him. And so we see that all this imagery is meant to say to Israel, think about what is coming. Be prepared. Don't wait. This is urgent. And you know, as we think about this word to the nation of Israel, we can sit here and think, well... It's a good thing I wasn't Israel back then, because you know it talks about here that this army coming, and we talked about in chapter one the army represented you know essentially a locust army, that was a nation of locusts invading their nation, and theologians here in chapter two have some some think it, this is again referring to that that locust army that's coming. Other think it's referring to an actual army that maybe the Babylonians or the Assyrian army that was going to come, and we know did conquer and exile Israel. And we can think, well, it's a good thing I didn't live then because I wouldn't want that kind of army coming to destroy me. And yet, we also know that Joel chapter 2 is a type, a precursor to a future day of the Lord. A day of the Lord that we know is in the book of Revelation, when Christ will return on His horse with, with His army from heaven. And this is something that God wants us to be prepared for. It's like he's giving us this word so that we might consider Jesus is returning and no one can stand before him on their own. Because just like the nation of Israel, we too are sinners. And we too have invited this judgment to come on us. And so we see God telling us, it's like he's shouting out to us, be ready, safe harbor. Are you ready for the day of the Lord that is coming? Are you living with that future day in mind now? Are you being cautious about it? Are you being careful about it? Are you being thoughtful about God, what God will do? Have you, do you ever think about what God is going to do in the future and that he is returning with his army? And so one thing we noticed here is that this is not just an ordinary army, is it? If you notice, verse 11 tells us the Lord makes His voice heard in the presence of His army. His camp is very large, and those who carry out His command are powerful. In other words, this army comes at the direction of the Lord. He is coming to intervene on fallen human history. And we know he already has intervened. And yet one day he will come finally, once and for all. And the question remains in verse 11. Indeed, indeed, the day of the Lord is terrible and dreadful. Who can endure it? And the answer for you and I is that none of us can. None of us can endure the coming of the Lord, apart from someone else taking our place. And so, this is a somber reality. This is the seriousness of sin, that God would have to come like this. And God wants us to be ready. God, in His great kindness and love for us, is calling out to us through this passage and letting us know this is what your sin has done. This is what your sin has deserved, and I'm, I love you enough to give you a warning that you don't have to stand and become desolate like the land. Because what we see, secondly, is that he gives us a way to be prepared for that day. And we are called to prepare for the day of the Lord that is coming. Look at verse 12 and 13. Let's read that together. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return To the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. So we see that whole beginning part of Joel chapter 2 is disaster, isn't it? And God is saying, this is coming. It's a promise. This this army cannot be stopped. Who can endure it? No one. But then we see a way out. A way out. The command here that God gives to be prepared is to turn to me with all your heart. And we see that he responds. He may even relent and send a blessing as a result of that. What we see here really is a picture of repentance. That's what this is. Israel was living a certain way. They were living away apart from God. They didn't really care what God had to say. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And here we see a call to repentance, which was a turning to God in His way. that's, That's why it says, even now, turn to me. And I look out today, and I think about all of us here in this room, and we have, all of us in this room, have areas of our lives that we are walking in the direction opposite of God. If we're really honest. It could be an area that nobody even knows about. It could be an area that others see and point out to us and we don't want to admit it. There are thousands of different areas of life that we deal with. Our thought life, our work life, our home life our desires, our possessions. And at any given moment, any one of those areas can tempt us to walk in a direction opposite of the Lord. And yet we see God calls us and invites us even now to turn to Him with all our heart. And He welcomes that. You don't have to pretend that you're doing everything God's way. But you do need to be honest. And He will welcome you. And not only will He welcome you, the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us He will forgive you, and He will redeem you, and He will make you new. And He will change your heart, and life will be different. You know, we think about repentance, and I I think we just as Christians and churches throw that word around a lot. And I think in general, we have a misunderstanding of what repentance is. We minimize it to just kind of saying I'm sorry, God. But what we see here in this passage is a picture of true repentance. It's something that's much more than just I'm sorry what we see here is a tearing of your hearts not just your clothes a returning to the lord of your god theologians talk about repentance in two and three ways right it's a turning a change of your mind change of your heart a change of your direction and apart from all three of those happening you're falling short of true repentance you change your mind and in other words you recognize I need to think about what I'm doing differently. Like this, what I've been doing, I've been thinking about it one way. God says something different. And my mind has changed. I know I can't keep doing this anymore. A change of heart means that we're now broken over what we've been doing in a new way. We can't just pretend like it's not a big deal. We know that Christ himself had to die for that. And that changes our heart towards it. We can't keep doing it. Change of direction means we stop doing it. And we do whatever we can to walk away from our sin to Christ's likeness and holiness and righteousness before Him. As you can see, that is much more than just saying, I'm sorry. And so this should first just cause us to stop and ask ourselves Is this what I realized when I said I became a Christian? Did I really think about my sin this way, or did I just say, well, I want to go to heaven, and so I'm going to get baptized and pray a prayer? The Bible says that true conversion, a true saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is a forsaking of sin and a turning to Jesus. You can't truly turn to Jesus if you aren't first forsaking your sin. And so for some of us here today, you may just realize, I thought I knew Jesus, but I didn't know the real Jesus. I just knew Jesus for what he could give me, not for what he took on himself for me in my place because of the depth of my sin. And maybe, just maybe, that's why your sin has still had a hold on you, because you've never really given it up, and you've never really given that to Jesus Christ. And I would invite you, Christ invites you today, lay your sins at His feet and you will find forgiveness of sin and new life, eternal life, through Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him and turn from your sin. And He is faithful and just to forgive your sin. And this, that's a picture of what we see. Look at who your God is. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and a re- abounding and faithful love. You know, I think sometimes we read that, and we almost use that as, as an excuse, God's kindness and graciousness and His patience, as an excuse to keep on sinning, because we know He will forgive us. And if that's where you find yourself, ask yourself if you have truly come to know the kindness of God to you, personally, because if you know God's kindness to you in your sin, because of His mercy alone, you will not want to sin against this God who has such a great love for you. You can't use that as an excuse. So I would ask you, examine your heart. What sin remains in your life that you haven't been willing to give to Him? What sin is it in your life that you've just been taking really lightly and not calling sin? And know that there is hope in the God of grace, that you don't have to stay who you are. You know, so many times I hear people say, well, that is just who I am. I can't change. The Bible says something very different. The Bible says when we come to know Christ, who we are is in Christ. It's not the desires of our flesh. It's not our personalities. Christ has dominion and power over it all when He is Lord. You are not a victim of how you were born or your circumstances. Or your desires christ calls you to lay all those things at his feet and he redeems you and makes you new he changes your desires he changes who you are he changes people who were born in sin to be forgiven and so as we consider this passage we look at the end and we see this calling for repentance, right? Gathering, do whatever you can to come this. He, he, he says, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the infants, even babies nursing. at the rest. He says, this is more important than babies feeding, than grooms and bride in their honeymoon chamber, right? You need to do this now. This is urgent. See the, the, the urgency in coming to him and repenting. But then we see in verse 18, the promise of God for his people when we do this. And I'm going to give a sneak preview at next week. Verse 18, then the Lord became jealous for his land and spared his people. You may feel like your life is a train wreck. You may feel like sin has such a grip on you that you can't change that life will never be different. But then we're reminded of verse 18. God became jealous for his land and he spared his people. It's not about you being stuck where you are. It's about allowing God to spare your life, to redeem you, and to change who you are and where you are. And God is able to do it. When we come to him. And we don't hold back what belongs to him. When we become Christians, we declare, Jesus, you are Lord of all. And then we hold back from him. We hold back by holding it in, but not allowing God's people to come alongside of us and help us. But not confessing our sin to God not truly repenting. And God says, all you have to do is be honest, and I will welcome you, and I will bring healing. Let us never doubt the healing hand of God for people who cry out to Him and look to Him in our troubles, in our concerns, in our worries. Joel chapter 2 is a call to be ready for the coming day of the Lord. And the Bible's clear. God has made a way through Jesus Christ that every single one of us in this room will be ready. And some of us may think, well, I don't want to think about then. I got more problems now. I don't want to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own worries. Yes. But we always want to know what does God think about me? Where do I stand with Him? Because He is coming soon. You know, the, Joel chapter 2 tells us that uh, He was going to be coming soon then. How much sooner is it going to be now? And so my question for you is, are you ready? What sin is there in your life that you've allowed to remain? As a follower of Jesus, We know that any sin in our life keeps us from enjoying the presence and the joy that God has for us. Yes, we may be forgiven, but we miss out on the life God has because we want to keep our sin. But also we know if we want to keep our sin, maybe there's a deeper problem. Maybe we don't really know the Lord to begin with. So God calls us today, every single one of us, to come before Him. And lay those things at his feet and know that with him there is life. Be honest. If you can't think of any sin in your life, there's a problem. And you don't even know what's keeping you from him, from our Lord. Search your heart. Be open to the Lord's changing in your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we praise you that you alone are Lord of all. And yet so often we try to be our own Lord. We try to hold on to the things that we want. We try to ignore what you say. And yet you love us so much to to run after us, to send your Son to us in our sin. While we were dead in sin, Christ died for us. Lord, help us to recognize today the seriousness of any sin that that remains in our life. Father, that you have told us the wages of sin is death. Father, that your wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and wickedness but that Jesus has provided a way of escape. And not only a way of escape, a way of joy and hope and life and flourishing. Father, we praise you that we are not left dead in our sin. Help that to not define our lives. but help us to find and live out the hope of Jesus each and every day. Lord, we ask that you would impress this on our heart and move us to come to you with these things that burden our souls, that wreck our lives and our families, and remind us and show us of the power of Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.